Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 19th of January, 2020. This morning we are joined by Mr. Stephen Garrett, who takes his reading from Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 to 28, and brings us a message entitled, Jesus Stills the Storm. But you have to go with technology these days. It's great to be in Cumber this morning. Um, I have a lot of history here. I think 41 years ago, last Sunday, I was baptized in this church. Uh, 33 years ago, this summer, I was married in this church. 37 years ago, I became a member of this church. So, yeah, I suppose if you ask me, what really, where would you consider to have been your home church? It would be in Cumber. And uh, it's always nice to come back. Nice to come back for something other than a funeral. It's usually Thanksgiving and funeral services that I attend in recent years. But it's nice to be here for another reason to share with you today in this service. And it's good that Pam and Andrew have been able to come along as well today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing, um, just to justify our existence uh, and to um, make you a little more wise for prayer of what's going on. I hope technology will work. This, if it doesn't work, I'm relying on the men at the back. CEF, you probably feel you know everything you need to know about CEF, and for almost 83 years. Child Evangelism Fellowship have been reaching boys and girls right across the world. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, will know we began in America, um, but now there is a, a ministry in most countries worldwide. Pam and I uh, worked in local church ministry for over 14 years, and uh, it was only in 2011 that we were sent out by the, uh, our church in Whitehead to serve with CEF. Firstly, we served for three and a half years as team leaders in the work in Belfast. Then we were assistant area directors in Southwest Europe before eventually becoming area directors in June 2018. If you're wondering where Southwest Europe is, these are the countries that we have responsibility in. Uh, in Ireland, Britain, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Spain, Italy and Portugal. These are just nine of the 48 countries that are in the continent of Europe. Thankfully, we don't work alone. This is the European leadership team. Uh, outside Kilsimmer, which is no longer in the hands of Child Evangelism Fellowship. Um, just two exceptions. If your eyesight is good enough, you may be able to pick out Roy and Ruth Harrison, who served with CEF in Europe for, I think, 52 years, certainly somewhere around that. It was over the 50 mark. Uh, they are now retired at the end of 2018, but all of the others are still uh, either area directors or uh, department leaders with CEF Europe. Is Europe a place where uh, people wish to be? 
Well, there are 750 million people who are living in Europe. Many of, the, of that 750 million are uh, boys and girls. Um, sadly, many of them are living and dying without hearing about Jesus Christ, neither what, who he is or what he has done. Many families have fled to Europe. They've been displaced from their own lands. And uh, probably my eyesight wouldn't be good enough to see it, but it says there that um, they urgently need your help. And uh, it speaks there in that headline uh, of danger from disease, violence, and from exploitation. But of course, those aren't the only needs they need to be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ and praise God for the opportunities that we have in CEF to uh, reach out to boys and girls. This club is a club in Utrecht in the Netherlands. It is made up of children from the local asylum centre. And uh, it was maybe one of the most bizarre clubs that I've been in. Not only the behaviour of the children was quite bizarre... But the parents were obviously very keen to know what we were teaching their children because they did not come from Christian backgrounds. So there was a steady stream of parents going through the club. And uh, I was bringing the lesson that day. I thought, there's no chance that we can do this. But I spoke in English, was translated into Dutch, which was translated into Arabic. I told a very simple gospel presentation based on the colours of the wordless book. And a most wonderful thing happened. A little boy, a little Somalian boy of 10, came up to me at the end of that club and he said to me, Jesus has made my heart clean. And I believe that over the two years that that little boy was in that club, God had worked in his heart. Please pray for Wilna Shaw as she works with many, many immigrant children in the Netherlands. The Netherlands team is small, uh, but they've built up really good relationships with local churches in the city of Eindhoven. They've been engaging in City Kids Ministry in Eindhoven for two years. And uh, the purpose of City Kids Ministry, a relatively new ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship, is to reach unchurched children in our cities. You say to me, why in our cities? Well, let me tell you that 70, more than 75% of Europe's children live in the major cities of Europe. And so we've been seeking to encourage local churches to reach out and to evangelize amongst unchurched children. The Netherlands team have uh, trained many believers in local churches uh, for City Kids Ministry events. And in particular, I would ask you to pray for um, this couple, uh, Marco and Josie Ban. They're part of the Netherlands team, and uh, they particularly have been uh, leading the City Kids Ministry in the Netherlands. Please pray for them and for their five young daughters as well. City Kids Ministry is also... Uh, very strong in the country of France. Um, they have trained and organised events in quite a number of the major French cities over the last three years. 
The message that we bring to boys and girls never ever changes, but perhaps the way that we uh, attract them and engage with them, it does change. And so the gospel has been presented to boys and girls in France through an afternoon in the savannah, through Mr. Professor the Robot, uh, through, the, through Lego clubs, through the mailbox gospel package, even through something called Days of Wood, which is really games, large wooden games, uh, always to engage. I think we see the robot and the Lego club here. But through that ministry, boys and girls have heard the gospel. Pray for Corinne Ruland, who is the national director leading that work in France. We have a great need for many, many more workers in Europe It all begins with the Lord of the Harvest sending out workers. But as we go out into just a small part of the harvest field, we realize that there is a great need for many, many more workers. And so we beseech the Lord that he would send abundant workers, workers called by his spirit, workers trained and funded for the mission field. Particularly, we need help in Britain. Britain is really just a small team of workers. We praise God for three new uh, applications for the work in Scotland. Actually, probably two years ago, after a very strong work in Scotland, we had no workers in Scotland. We now have the possibility of uh, five workers in Scotland. But we desperately need Uh, Workers, We desperately need national leaders. We need national leaders in Britain, national leaders in Belgium, in Italy and in Portugal. I desperately need them because when there's no national leader, I'm the national leader. And so I have responsibilities in nine countries, but I have uh, particular daily responsibilities in four of those countries who don't have a national leader. Here in Ireland, the big project at the moment is in Kilkeel in County Down at Seaview Camp Centre. It is needed for ongoing camps with children from Ireland, but actually it's an important part of the training programme for Western Europe. Kilsimmer was our main training centre up until the end of 2018. It has now been sold. And at present, most training is done in Seaview in Romania, in Central Europe. But when Seaview, in God's will, is rebuilt, the builders come in to demolish it on the 27th of January. But when it is rebuilt, it will have a third level, a third story, which will be to train students from all over Western Europe and so we look to God for that development. Two million pounds are required for that project. When it was first introduced I simply, my faith failed me, I couldn't see two million pounds being raised and yet God's people have provided over one million five hundred pounds at present towards that project and so when it's handed over in March Uh, of 2021, we trust that it will be debt-free. This week I have been in Portugal and uh, 
all my pictures of Portugal. Thank you. Um, again, a small team of workers. Not even as many as that picture suggests because you have the chairman of the board and a board member also. Just four workers in Portugal. I've been at the retreat in the Vendas Novas Camp Centre outside of Lisbon. It was an encouraging retreat. We were able, uh, for the first time in a number of years, to talk about the evangelism of children. You say to me, what have you been talking about for the last number of years? Well, sadly, we've been very distracted in that work. We have had many problems. Uh, we struggled against challenges. I wouldn't want to leave you this morning to think uh, the challenges are all in the work of Cumber Baptist. The challenges are out there on every field. And uh, even this, in the closing months of uh, 2019, we were taken to the courts in Portugal. A, a civil lawsuit was taken uh, against myself and against the uh, chairman of the General Assembly of CEF there. And uh, much more time was taken up with discussing problems than children. And that's sad because our work is to reach the children. But I want to say to you this morning that God is sovereign. And God overruled and the judge threw that case out of the courts without it even being given a hearing. And that was definitely the answer uh, to many, many prayers. And so we praise God that we are now really looking to the future in Portugal. And I want you to pray for Portugal. Vendas Novas Camp Centre needs new leaders. Um, these are the lemon trees, I think. There are lemon trees and orange trees growing that was from my room, uh, just looking out the window, and you could walk around and pick that fruit. But please pray for spiritual fruit, for boys and girls, for the salvation of boys and girls. And this coming summer, DV, the first four weeks of the CMLC training course, a joint course between Portugal and Spain, will be held here in this centre outside of Lisbon. And we pray that there may be many new workers, both for the Spanish work and for the Portuguese work. And we pray that boys and girls will, will be met uh, and saved. I know that I have support within this church. Many of you pray. Some of you support us financially. And we don't, do not take that for granted. We couldn't be in this work otherwise. And I praise God for that. I would like you to be a part of our ministry. If you're not already praying, you can receive our prayer letter uh, at least three times a year. And there should be one due right now. Uh, and financially is another area. All CEF missionaries raise 100% of their budget. And I think some people maybe felt when I would become an area director that I would receive a salary, but that just means that the budget needs to go further because I'm traveling in eight countries and technology, as I say, is good and there are a lot of online meetings, but you can't really do without face-to-face. -face. Sometimes you have to be there. You have to meet with people and speak with people. And so again, I have, for once, remembered to bring our prayer letter. I or our prayer card. I'm very good at meaning to and never quite managing it. So you can have a prayer card 
uh, and trust that you will put it up and remember us in our work. Thank you. I'm going to share from God's Word and uh, just to look at a few verses in Matthew chapter 8. It's a familiar event, one that you will be, um, will have read many times uh, and probably in truth I will not say anything that you have not heard or thought about before. But this little passage has just been particularly in my mind, maybe it's being in Portugal, uh, where we have experienced very real storms, and having experienced the power of the Saviour to still those storms. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23 to 27, and it says to me there, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? I wonder, does your life maybe sometimes feel like it is a bit at sea? It's not because it's flowing along without problems, it's because there are storm clouds. There are many miraculous events, both before and after this account in Matthew chapter 8. But actually, this account of the storm out in the lake is equally miraculous as the other happenings. I'm confident that this passage has something to say to each of us, no matter where we are in our lives today. I don't often uh, manage alliteration in my sermons, so it must be a very special event coming back to Cumber because I didn't sleep well last night and all, the, all that was going through my mind was alliteration of my sermon points. So I have four S's for you this morning. At least I think my father would have been proud of that. The sequence... The sequence of events here in the passage is interesting, isn't it? You see, um, if you go back to verse 18, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. These were the orders of Jesus to get into this boat to go out onto the lake. The disciples came up with many ideas of their own, but this wasn't actually one of their ideas. This was the instruction of the Lord Jesus. And then we've already read verse 23, and when he got into the boat, his disciples 
followed him. So actually, the disciples are generally worthy of blame. But on this occasion, all they have done is to follow the Lord Jesus. And sometimes all we are guilty of is following the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we're guilty of much more. I'm not saying that we don't sometimes cause storms in our own lives by our disobedience or by our hard hearts, our sinful hearts. But having said that, sometimes all we're doing is following Jesus when the storm comes. And perhaps we think in our minds, well, if I'm following Jesus and he has given the orders, then there shouldn't be any storms. And I felt like that quite a bit over the past number of years. I felt very much that God led us into Child Evangelism Fellowship. I felt very much that God opened the door into Southwest Europe. And then the storm very suddenly arose. And there were difficulties in Portugal. And there were difficulties in Belgium. And actually... Uh, although I should have known that the storm comes, it took me by surprise. Maybe it's particularly difficult for young Christians because their thinking is that when we are in God's will, when we're going according to his plan, then it's a peaceful existence that we're promised. But that's not promised anywhere. If you... This week in Portugal, we were looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation. If you go through those letters in Revelation 2 and 3, you discover you can expect persecution, you can expect suffering, you can expect the storm. That's what we're promised. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that we're in the wrong way. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going in the wrong direction. Whenever difficulty arises, doesn't mean that we should turn back. Perhaps the reality is that when difficulty comes, it's proof that we're going in the right direction. This could be true for the church. It could be true for you as an individual. Maybe your path is difficult at present. There are things that you didn't expect that you're coming up against. And you're starting to think to yourself, have I made a mistake? Have I not heard God's voice? Should I have gone some different way? Life may be complicated. But you know, it's not circumstances that should be guiding us. Those circumstances are a part of it. But sometimes circumstances will seem to say, Go another way. And yet, the Lord is still saying to us, keep on going and look to me. So there is the sequence. There's the suddenness. You see, this storm seems to come out of nowhere. Some versions of scripture uh, actually use these words. They say, without warning. A furious storm came up on the lake. It doesn't say that in the version that I have read. 
But the storms are rising on this lake were not something that were unusual. Uh, in fact, it happened frequently. All around it are the mountains and the wind comes between the mountains and suddenly there's a storm on the lake. In the earlier verses, there's no sign that the disciples are aware of an impending storm. When they step into the boat, everything's quiet, everything is calm. They don't make any particular preparations for what lies ahead because it is unexpected. And I've sort of nearly already said this, but it is worth noting that the storm is often without warning. The suddenness of the storm is the thing that takes us by surprise. You see, if only we had been forewarned, well, then perhaps we could be forearmed. But you see, as I've said, we have been forewarned because that is what we're told to expect. We're told to expect conflict, trouble, difficulty. Those are the things that we need to prepare for in the peaceful times. We need to stay close to God. We need to strengthen ourselves through his word, through fellowship with him, through his people, because suddenly the storm arises. Suddenly the calm is gone. And suddenly, if we haven't prepared for the storm, everything's washed away. Where do we find a foothold? Where do we stand? You see, if you think about it, this night on the lake, the Heavenly Father knew what the weather conditions would be. He could have stopped the disciples from going out in the lake, or he could have changed the weather conditions. But you see, he allowed his disciples to go out onto that lake. He allowed them to be put to the test. He allowed them to have their faith challenged so that they might be utterly defeated? No. So that their faith would be strengthened? So that they would be stronger as they walked away from this event than they were before? And so when tests come, when the doctor's results are not what we want, when Illness enters into the family, and maybe we suffer bereavement. God knows about all of those things. He knows about all of those storms, all of those difficulties. And He allows those difficulties, not so that He can destroy us, but so that He can make us what He desires us to be. So there's the sequence, there's the suddenness. But thankfully, there's the Savior, isn't there? Jesus was sleeping in the boat. He slept with a clear conscience after a busy day of ministry. He was very definitely there in the boat. But interestingly, the disciples didn't call on him. Things were bad. Waves were pouring into the boat. But it seems like his disciples didn't see the obvious. Then when they really feared for their lives, they went and they awoke 
the Saviour. But things had to reach an extremity before they would actually go and wake him. They were all seasoned fishermen. They knew this lake uh, inside out, as it were. They had been out in this lake in storms before, and so perhaps they thought they could handle it. They didn't go to him right away. They're not totally without faith, but amongst the little faith that they have is also great unbelief. Fear is there, and that's wrong. Yes, obviously there are situations that concern us. Obviously there are times when it is right to have concern about a situation. But whenever fear takes over, and it's interesting, some versions also use that little word, so afraid. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? You see, they were terrified. They were paralyzed by their fear. I believe that uh, God wanted to build their faith through these circumstances. He didn't want fear to take hold of their hearts. Realistically, there will be times when we're fearful in life. But it's a question of whether that fear actually stops us from doing what we have to do. It's whether that fear paralyzes us from doing what we have to do or whether we'll turn to Jesus. You see, again, I'm using personal examples, but when I was faced with the situation in Portugal, the problem had been there over many years. It had not necessarily been confronted and many fears were there about confronting it. I was fearful. I was fearful. Well, I was fearful in some of our meetings that I mightn't get out alive, but I was fearful because I might no longer have a role. I might no longer be in the position of Southwest Area Director. Would I confront the people who needed to be confronted? Would I ask those to leave who needed to leave? And actually, that's not me. A lot of people here know me well, and I, I certainly can be fairly verbal. But actually, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to, to deal with situations like that. And so that's how I know God gave me courage. He took away that fear and he said, don't allow this fear to stop you from doing what you have to do. And when I went ahead, I took the steps I needed to take. God removed the people who needed to be removed. And so fear should not be allowed to paralyze us. We need to, to look to him. And faith, faith is something which starts small, but it grows through the storms of life. It grows when we exercise it in the situations of life. We need to be exercising it daily, even in the small circumstances, so that when the huge storm breaks, it's second nature to look 
to Christ. So that rather than leaving it to the very end, we go to him right away. We cast ourselves upon him right away. We need Jesus. Our flesh is so weak. We may be the most capable person. We may be the most self-contained person. But sooner or later, we all have nothing but Jesus. We need to hand things over to him. You're not going to be able for it. You're not going to be able to handle it on your own. The wonderful thing is that faith grows as we hear him whisper to us, Fear not, I am with thee. I'll never let the waves overcome you. So, fourthly, there's the stilling, isn't there? The stilling of the storm. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and we're told that suddenly everything was calm. And the word actually that stands out there is the word rebuked. The Lord rebuked the wind and the waves. And all three of the gospel writers who tell this story all have kept that word rebuke. Because you see, it's a significant word. Elsewhere in uh, Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus rebukes a fever. Uh, and again and again, he rebukes demons who have taken over the lives of many oppressed people. There is discord and harmony in our world which needs to be rebuked. Because you see, it ultimately comes from one source, from one person. And that's Satan. Satan is the author of all disorders, of all chaos. And here in this story, even nature is upset and chaotic and wild. And even nature has been affected by that sin which came into the world through the first Adam. And so when the Lord Jesus stands up and rebukes, isn't it interesting that she recognizes, nature recognizes the voice of the creator. Nature recognizes the voice of her rightful Lord and master. And even nature gives allegiance to him. He didn't need Moses' rod. He didn't need Elijah's mantle. But at his word, it was calm. And that's truly amazing. Now, these seasoned fishermen would have seen many storms and they would have seen them calm. But not in this way. Not immediately. The waves stop. The wind is still. No wonder the disciples were saying amongst themselves, what kind of man is this? You see, they hadn't quite fully grasped who this was in their midst. But they're beginning to realize as they see him there in the storm. And just in a moment or two, uh, we're going to be gathering around uh, the communion table. 
I'm going to think a little bit more just about how God has control even over nature. And I'm going to think just about how nature was affected even on that day that he died on Calvary. Because that's the reason he has control over nature, over all things, because of what happened that day on Calvary's hill. I want to say two things to you. One of them is, I suppose, a reprimand, and it's to me also, and the other an exhortation. Sadly, we're slow to learn the lesson of faith. Sadly, we're slow to take our eyes off our circumstances and to put our eyes on the Lord. And sadly, though he delivers us so many times, we seem to forget the lesson to keep going back to him. We keep believing that we can do it, that we have enough to get ourselves out of trouble. And yet it's not true. There's a story is told of a father going up a ladder to fix something at his house. And he looked back down and his little boy is following him. His little boy is halfway up the ladder. Suddenly the boy looked down and realized how far it was to the ground and he was overcome by fear. And he began to cry. His father looked down and realized he was there and he shouted to the boy, look up son, look up, look at me, keep on climbing, don't look down. And so at his father's instructions, the little boy kept on climbing, he kept looking up and very soon the little boy was able to look into his father's face. He was safe in his father's arms. And that's my exhortation to you this morning, just a simple exhortation. In whatever circumstances of life you find yourself, in your troubles, in the storm, look up to him because he will never fail you. Amen. I'm excited to see if we're going to sing the There is a Redeemer.